When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Great to have you with us back here on the GM Shuffle. Hope everyone's summer is continuing in full swing. And now the NFL preseason begins because there's some news both on the field and off the field. We'll talk with the Bills signing quarterback Josh Allen to an extension. Uh, perhaps a trade is inevitable for Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas and why Lamar Jackson said he's still iffy on the COVID vaccine. We start, Mike, hallelujah. There was actual football on. The season kicked off on Thursday. The Hall of Fame game in Canton. The Steelers beat the Cowboys 16-3. to Thursday, we'll see more games. Washington visits New England. Pittsburgh back in action against Philly. Three more games on Friday. Ten on Saturday. And Carolina and Indy officially wrap the week on Sunday. I know everyone says, okay, preseason games don't matter a whole lot. Generally, in the past, the arithmetic has been the third game is important when you actually see more starters. But this is going to be different now, right? Less preseason games, longer regular season. What are you looking for early on? Well, I think, you know, we know that September is still going to be preseason for a lot of these teams as they kind of sort through their rosters and kind of see who they can, who's good and who's not good. The hardest thing to do in preseason is judge your players because you're practicing against them. Every guy's practicing against the same guy all the time. So you need a different look and you need a way to where you can grade the level of competition, which is the hardest part. So that's why I think you see teams work against different teams. Carolina's working against Indianapolis. The Patriots will work against the Giants next week. All those things really help in the evaluation process without actually having to play in the game. So, you know, for me, I, I think that it's always about evaluating the sections of your team. Like, let's take, for example, the Hall of Fame game. You know, the Cowboys come out in the Hall of Fame game. They play some of their regulars in their offensive line against the backups for the Steelers. Well, you know, they they, they went right down the field, which they should do. Whenever you have a lot of top offensive linemen against backup D-linemen, you should move the ball. And, you know, Ty Nitschke played left tackle in a place of Teron Smith. Well, what happened in there was he got beat a couple times. And if you're a Cowboy fan or you're the Cowboy general manager and you're Jerry Jones or Stephen Jones, you're saying, look, we signed this guy to be a backup swing tackle for us. If he can't play, like if he's playing like this in week one of the preseason against lesser comp, we've got some real issues. So it's it's those kind of micro things that lead to macro evaluations. And I think that's really what the preseason's about. You've got to set the agenda as the general manager to be able to say, okay, I'm counting on this young player. I want to see this young player play. You know, if you're Jacob Eason for the Colts, you know, I want to see him handle the game. I want to see him make smart decisions. I want to see him be able to command the team and then let him see if he can play with some confidence. I like what you're saying, Mike, the fact that it's not just evaluating roster fringe guys. It's also looking at the whole roster piecemeal. All right, how does the secondary look? How do our linebackers look, et cetera? And then try to determine what to do. There's new rules and regulations as well. So how do you think the staff instills those as you move into games? Because I think for a lot of these players right now, it's trial and error, no? 
Yeah, I, I think if I were, you know, I think that third preseason game, I think you got to play some of your guys. I mean, because you're two weeks away from the opening game. You're two weeks away, and you don't really want to beat up on yourself as much as ever. I think you've got to play your young guys. Look, the NFL is a mathematical problem, right? There's only so many reps every day in practice. There's only so many reps every day in a game. And those good reps, you've got to be able to give them to the players that deserved them based on their work habits, based on their concentration, their focus, you know, what they've earned. And and I think the reps have to be handled. And then you've got to be able to, as a general manager, figure out the competition. Who's he playing against? Who's having a good game? You know, it's like in the NBA, you watch the summer leagues, right? You know, and so if one player's great in the summer league and he's killing it, the level of comp isn't very good. So it's you, you've got to kind of handle it, you know, and you've got to see your players that you feel like you have an understanding of who they are. Parcells used to always go into the first preseason game and he would probably, you know, he was always a big believer in, okay, I've got, today I have 33 guys on the team. And then these other players I need to look at, you know, and then I've got 38 players on the team, you know, and I remember talking to him during the season, during the preseason, he'd say, you know, I'm, I'm at 40 right now. I'm still looking at the next five. Because he would work it off in sections. It's a little bit like eating the elephant in, in, in anything, any big project you take on. You know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Well, how do you break down a team one position at a time? And you start giving out, you know, if you start giving out jobs just based on names, you know, you end up with a guy who's not quite as good as you hoped he would be. So for me, I think that's really what it is. It's about sections and being able to evaluate against the level of comp and we all make mistakes. I mean, we count on some young player to be able to come in and play well. And then, you know, and he looks good in a preseason game or we'll make an excuse for him. And then when the real bullets start to fly and the game really becomes uh, hard against comp, he, he just doesn't show up. So that's what you're trying to figure out. Right. And you hope you get enough, you know, data to that you can make those assessments and obviously one less preseason game. So, it's going to be incumbent upon not just the scouts that got to this point, but now the coaching staff to, like you said, make tough decisions, mold those players into putting them in the best position to succeed. One guy who's really succeeded, took a giant leap last year, was Josh Allen. And on Friday, Josh Allen, the Bills, agreeing to a six-year contract extension, tops out at $258 million. So you're talking over a quarter of a billion dollars, $150 million of that guaranteed. Uh, the guarantee is the most in a single contract in NFL history. This passes Patrick Mahomes. $141.5 million guaranteed. They've got him locked in for eight more years, so you can really build around the guy. Last year, he finished as the runner-up for MVP. Franchise records for passing yards, passing touchdowns. He led the Bills to the AFC Championship and their first division title since 1995. I knew he'd get signed, Mike. I knew he'd get paid. But the fact he's getting more guaranteed than Mahomes, uh, that's a headline. Yeah, I mean, it is, but is is it, you know, I mean, it, from initially looking at it, I mean, he's now the second highest paid quarterback in the league. I, I think these are the contracts that are probably the easiest to do because what happens is, you know, Mahomes, you're not better than Mahomes, so you're not getting $45 million. You're less than him, so you're going to average less than that, and you're going to end up getting, you know, you're going to end up getting a little bit less, and so we'll give you more in the guarantee. I mean, I can't imagine they think that he's not going to be able to be on the roster. You know, to me, the NFL is so outdated in their guarantee rules because you have to fund the money. So he signed a contract that'll take him out to, to he's 32 years old, right? And so that's a long way out where he's going to end up going. You know, so 32, he's just now he'll come back at the Apple and get another chance. Whereas Mahomes is going to be 36 when, when he's done. 
when his contract, he goes all the way out to 2031. But all those years that don't have guarantees, like seriously, you don't think they're all going to get guaranteed? I mean, the beautiful thing about the Mahomes contract for all the other teams is he's 36 when he gets another bite at the apple. Josh Allen's 32 and he gets another bite at the apple. So Josh Allen has a chance to really, really kind of dip this thing twice, which is huge. Everybody wants to be able to. The fact that they gave them more guaranteed and less years tells you that obviously that 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 was the agent was going to close the deal on that. There's just no way. You know, guaranteed money and years have to go hand in hand. And like it's not a hard contract to do. Okay, I'm going to put Josh Josh Allen's not as good as as Patrick Mahomes, so he's going to make less than 45. He's better than Dak Prescott. Is he better than Deshaun Watson? We know he's better than Jared Goff at 33 and a half. He's not better than Aaron Rodgers, who's at 33 and a half too, right? So we've got to figure out how to make this all kind of work together. This contract really becomes very problematic for Baker Mayfield because Mayfield's not as good as some of these guys in this category. And yet he's going to want to get into that 40 million, 39. He's not as good as Deshaun Watson. He's not as good as Russell Wilson. Now, Russell Wilson's contract was was done a few years ago, but you know, he's not as good as Josh Allen. Is he as good as Dak Prescott? I don't think he is. So do you want to pay Baker Mayfield 40 million a year? You know, I think that's the real issue. This is what it's the player that isn't elite. And when you break down the top eight quarterbacks, Baker's not in the top eight. He's in the second group of players. And that second group of players, this is how water seeks its level. When that second group of players start to make what the first group does, like Kirk Cousins, he's in that second group, right? Then it just drives the revenue up for everybody else. This is what Josh Allen and the, and the Browns are kind of trapped by this. What are they going to do? Say no to Baker? Say no? I mean, they're going to franchise them and get trapped in that. It, it just becomes a vicious cycle. And even though you say he's not as good as Allen, you know, Jared Goff's not as good as any of these guys either. And he's making 33 and a half million. It's a good point how one deal has permutations for elsewhere. And I'm with you. Baker Mayfield's not top eight. So uh, the money he's going to want, that could be an interesting situation. Maybe he has a big year. Who knows? But that that also makes me think about Josh Allen. Because with Mallon, I say to myself, Mike, Mahomes had a few seasons where he could prove he was worth it. Allen was a question mark before last year and then had an extraordinary season. So I don't know if that gives you any sort of pause yeah. that there's not as much of a sample size with Allen as I saw with Mahomes. I mean, they were all in on Allen. I mean, they 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 never really, even when he wasn't playing well, they never hedged. I mean, they see him every day. He improved in so many areas of accuracy, which I never thought. I mean, I was completely wrong. I never felt like he would improve his accuracy, but he did. You know, the other guy that's going to have a hard time doing a contract is Derek Carr. Like this, the Allen deal and the Prescott deal is going to affect two players the most, Carr and Baker Mayfield, because Carr's got one more year left and he gave him a really good modest deal. He's going to be 31 when this deal expires and it's going to expire after next season. What do the Raiders do? Do they extend them? How do they handle that? Like he's one, of, he's in that second eight too. He's not in the first eight. He's in the second eight. He's going to get paid good money. How much are you going to pay him? And then how does it affect it? Like, because the Raiders have have not yet said to, you know, because Gruden's not fully in love with Carr, they don't set the table around Carr. So how are they going to do that deal? Whereas Mayfield, the problem with Mayfield is part of Mayfield's success was the fact that, you know, the system really made him effective. If you go back and watch the, the, the game against the, the Chiefs, they have the ball with the scores 22-17 with under five minutes to go. And the Browns get the ball back. 
And the Chiefs do a good job of keeping Mayfield in the pocket, forcing him to throw the check down because he can't see it down the field, and they have to punt that ball back. At some point, if you're making $40 million and you get the ball with four under five minutes to go, you can't punt. You're, you're going to carry your team down the field. You're going to carry them down the field. And you go back and watch those sequences, and you say to yourself, well, the scheme couldn't carry him anymore. He had to make a drop-back throw. You say, well, you're nitpicking Lombardi. No, no, this is what you pay $40 million for. At this moment of the game, you've got to carry him. It's the same thing with Carr. In the last four minutes of a game, you've got to carry the team if you want to make $40 million. You've got to put the team on your back. You know, the difference between good and great is the difference between $42 million and $32 million. You got to, you know, so I think that's, these are the hard contracts to do is when a guy is just good. Like there was Cleveland of all the teams in the playoffs last year, played the Chiefs the best before Tampa beat them. But ultimately, ultimately they had their chance. Mahomes is hurt. He goes out of the game. They got the ball back 22 to 17. Henny throws that interception. All they've got to do is keep moving the ball down the field, and they got a punt. They had a third and 10. They had to throw. Rashard Higgins made a great – made somebody miss a tackle. They had to go for it on fourth down once. Really, their offense, when it became, we got to throw drop-back passes. This is really important. When we have to throw drop-back passes, we can't make that throw. That's what worries you about Mayfield. That's what worries you about Goff. That's what worries you about all these guys that run that play-action pass system. When the game becomes all pass, are they going to be good enough to throw the football? And if they are, they deserve to make in the 40s. If they're not, you're going to have to figure out that contract. It's great perspective, and it's a good point. Listen, $30 million might sound like a lot, but the difference between 30 and 40 is huge. When you look at the cap system and, and the way these guys are all coming together, and what ends up happening is sometimes you have players who get frustrated with where the, where the rules are, and that brings us to the Saints and their all-pro wide receiver, Michael Thomas. Issue's been brewing for months. According to reports after the season, Michael Thomas got evaluated for an ankle injury that cost him most of last season. It was recommended that he get surgery in January, which would give him enough time to recover for the start of the season. For months, he ignored calls from the Saints front office and coaching staff, including head coach Sean Payton, before he finally got the surgery in June, putting his availability for the start of the season in jeopardy. Thomas has been quiet publicly until Monday morning when he posted on Twitter, they tried to damage your reputation. You saved theirs by not telling your side of the story. How do you make of this situation, Mike? This feels pretty ugly. Oh, I think this is over. I, I I think that, you know, if Sean Payton had his way, I think he would have, he probably is upset that he traded him, that he, that he signed him to an extension. I think this is one of those cases where, you know, you sign a guy to a five-year extension, you know, averaging 19.2 million a year, you know, got about 60 million in guarantees. And if you just waited, you know, let him play out his rookie contract and then franchise him, you know, you could, you know, the cost to trade Thomas on the salary cap would be 8.9 million this year, Right. And it was savings of about a million and 22 million next season. So it's really, really going to be challenging for them to do it. Now, the team that takes them in gets an affordable contract because all the guarantees are kind of be washed away. 50, I think like he gets like 16 million, 17 million and 20 million over the next three years, which are easy to do. You can, you know, kind of lump it all together, especially if he doesn't want a new contract. But I don't see this getting repaired. I, I think what he did by not having that surgery, and I don't care what he tweeted out. I really don't. I don't care what he tweeted out. He let his teammates down. Like, we're counting on you to be healthy. We're counting on you to do everything you can in the offseason to become a good player. And when you wait until the, right before camp to do it, you know, 
I mean, what does that say about him? Now, he can BS his way through with some tweet. Come on, that, that ain't going to get it done. You're, you're responsible for your health. If you're a great player and football is important to you, you're going to be on the field. You want to be on the field showing that, you know, and he is a good player, but let's not make any mistake about this. The Saints do everything in their power to find a way to get him the football. Sean Payton does a great job, and he does a great job of catching everything thrown to him. I'm not dismissing the talent. I'm, I'm really attacking the behavior. And, and I think they'll prob- they're going to trade him. I don't think there's any doubt that it's probably over. There's no way. Once you violate that trust between a player and a team in terms of letting the teammates down, I'm sure he's probably not very well received in that locker room either. No, and I can't imagine like you. Imagine you or Sean Payton. You're in the front office. You have a star player who's not returning phone calls when he should be getting surgery. I mean, imagine how ballistic you, Michael Lombardi, would be. Oh, I mean, like, like seriously, you know, you got to call, you know, he's not returning calls. You know, I, I wouldn't have just accepted that. We would have been, we'd have been on an airplane trying to find him. Like, this is the thing that drives me crazy. You know, guys don't, Ben Simmons doesn't want to return a phone call to the 76ers, you know, but Ben Simmons notoriously, it's reliably reported to me from a really good source that Ben Simmons would, you know, miss, miss walkthroughs. He would, he would blow off shoot arounds, you know, not even show up out partying way too much. Actually, the, you know, the, before game seven, uh, I think of the thing, he, he thought he wasn't going to be able to play for contact tracing. And eventually they kind of found out he was able to play against the Hawks. So, you know, I mean, it's like, wait a minute, you, you have a responsibility. Just because a team gave you money, you have a responsibility to the team to be a pro. You just can't sit off in the corner or blow things off because you got paid. And, oh, now all of a sudden, you know, you try to trade me. I don't want anything to do with you. Where, where's your competitive fiber? So I just think to me, Michael Thomas, I mean, like, what have you, what, what are you doing? Your, your employer is taking good care of you, paid you a lot of money. You owe it to them to take care of your health. It's like Deshaun Watson. He has a no trade clause put in his contract last August when he signs this deal, a no trade clause. And now all he wants to do is be traded. Like what happened in 12 months that went from you can't trade me to I want to be traded. And, and if it's that bad, like what happened that was that bad? that we can't talk about it and communicate about it. And oh, by the way, you've got 24 civil, 22 civil cases, maybe two more coming. But yet, you know, you think we let you down. We think you we let you down. How about you lead, letting us down? Yeah, it's like when you have an issue, a dispute, it's like almost like in a marriage, a relationship. Like, let's just have a conversation. Let's communicate our way through. When there's no communication, when there's that breakdown, Led Zeppelin, communication breakdown, well, that's when it gets awfully frustrating. And just, as you said, it feels irreparable, at least in New Orleans, with regards to Thomas and company. Coming up next, Saquon Barkley back on the field for tearing his ACL last season. Could we see him back for week one? And how will the Giants manage his return? That's next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. COVID's not going away. The Delta variant continues to spread, especially against those who are unvaccinated. And the NFL has made it clear you get vaccinated or you could cost yourself game checks. Well, Lamar Jackson, he just got off the COVID list after contracting the virus second time in eight months. When asked if he'd get vaccinated this time, he was noncommittal. He said it's a personal decision. He's going to talk to his team and keep learning as much as possible. Meantime, John Harbaugh doesn't seem to be in a rush to sign Jackson to an extension. He said there's really not a hurry on it. Lamar is going to be our quarterback for years to come. Mike, you're in the front office. Jackson's had COVID twice. How do you approach this situation? Well, I mean, if he wants more about to learn about it, I would bring in every specialist we pop. I mean, they're sitting right there by John Hopkins University. It's in Baltimore. Get, a, you know, have a team Zoom call in. Explain it to them. Like, seriously, explain it to them. Follow the science. Like, tell me why you don't want to have this. Because it's not FDA approved. You know? I mean, when you went to high school, when you went to grade school, they put a shot in your arm. It's because, oh, you know, they can track you with the medicine. Sure, right. You have an iPhone and people are actually dumb enough to think the medicine's tracking you. Like, did you ever talk to have a conversation with somebody about a product? You know, you're just a general conversation. And then the next day you get like three emails on that product. Like you, you wonder where they came from. You don't think they're spying on you on that shit? I mean, seriously, like, like at some point, We've got to be able to get past the, you know, I I want more information. Here is the information. Nobody's trying to mislead you. It's the best thing for all of us. You know, it's not a political, this thing that drives me crazy, AD, why have we made this a political issue? You know, well, you can't tell me what to do. Well, no, I can't tell you what to do. America's right about freedom, but, but you can't harm other people either. You know, and, and when you went to school, you had to prove your shot records, didn't you? When you went to when you went to grade school, didn't you have to prove your shot records? Didn't you have to have a shot for polio? Didn't you have to have a shot for, you know, chicken pox and all those things? Like, well, what's so wrong with it? You know, now we're getting an outbreak and people want to close down the government, close down the economy again. Are you kidding me? We're never closing down the economy again. That's over. I mean, they made that very clear. They're not going to do that. If you choose not to get a shot and you get sick, you're on your own. And you're going to affect other people. This is what makes it so maddening. So if I were there, you know, I, I I would be all over it. Like, I'm not going to give you all the money and then tell you that you, you can do whatever the hell you want to do. Like, at some point, there's got to be rules and requirements within the, the deal. Like, we got to make some choices here. Yeah, it's like I said before, when you go to the beach, right? No shirt, no shoes, no service. You you can do whatever choice you want, but yeah. if you don't have a shirt on, you can't go in the restaurant. So listen, Lamar, you're, it goes back to, like you said, Mike, being a bad teammate. Like ultimately, this isn't just a personal decision. You're impacting your team. If you're not there, if you get sick, that costs us a game check. Like that's insane to think about. Yeah, I mean, it's, and you've already done it twice. I mean, like, seriously, you've already had it twice, you know, and you think, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to get it. Well, it's my choice. I just don't really want to get it. Why wouldn't you want to protect yourself? 
it, it's maddening. Like you said, it's so frustrating. It's become a political issue. Um, we'll see what happens. Lamar and the Ravens. In the meantime, Saquon Barkley is hopeful for week one. Giants running back on the practice field. First time in nearly a year on Monday. Tore his ACL week two of last season. He told reporters he is definitely hopeful about being in the lineup for week one against the Broncos, but cannot guarantee anything. Stellar rookie season, 1,300 yards. He rushed for over that and 11 touchdowns, had over 1,000 yards and six touchdowns, only 13 games in 2019. Obviously, he's a huge part of this offense, Mike. When you hear ACL, you go, okay, it's at least a year. Obviously, you don't want to rush him back, but New York knows they're going to need him and Daniel Jones to be at their best. Your thoughts on Saquon trying to get ready for week one? Oh, I think they've got to be able to get this slowly. I think any back who comes back off an ACL, I think there's always a little bit of a curve, right? I think it's going to take some time to get him to where he's got that burst and he's got that acceleration coming. Now, look, we all know that people, the players have healed quicker with this ACL and they've done a great job. Medicine has taken some huge advantages. But I mean, the reason they signed Devontae Booker is so that they have an opportunity to kind of split some reps and kind of integrate him into the offense and see what they can do. I think the big question for Saquon Barkley is, 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 is this offensive line going to be good enough? Today, you know, before we started this pod, which is Tuesday morning, I saw that Nick Solder got hurt at practice today. I don't know how bad, but I mean, I think to me, it's really going to come down to how good this giant offensive line can play. And that's, that's to me, the worry about it. You know, that's where I think they have the most concern, whether it's Andrew Thomas at left tackle, whether it's, you know, Nate Solder at right tackle or, or Kenny Wig or whoever else they're playing. I mean, Shane Lemieux, you know, Nick Gates at center. I mean, they've got to be able to, to do a good job. And last year, I think that was one of the Achilles heel of the team. They just couldn't really dominate the line of scrimmage. So then that's going to play an effect to Barkley. But I, I think if I was playing fantasy, A.D., I wouldn't be all over Barkley early. I would I would kind of let it go because I think it's going to take some time to get his feet on the ground and feel comfortable getting hit and all that. Yeah, like you said, running backs with ACLs, I mean, God forbid he gets injured again, then forget about it. Another long process. Meantime, we get used to so many stories, Mike. Hey, this guy looks great. He's never been better. Well, how about this? Zach Wilson struggling during the preseason. During the offseason, they made a conscious decision not to provide any veteran competition. During a simulated game on Saturday, he completed less than half of his passes. He led the offense to just three points against the first-team defense. Now, Robert Sala, the new head coach, called it a priceless learning experience. And for most rookies, it gets worse before it gets better. But like I said, it's unusual whenever you hear a story about a guy. Actually, he did not look good. Your thoughts on Zach Wilson not encouraging early on. You know what's surprising about this, though, is we know Salai's system on defense is pretty basic. It's middle of the field closed. They're going to play, you know, one front. So, And he's practiced against it. And, and I would not say that anybody thinks the Jets' talent on defense is superior, right? Like, I wouldn't think that, you know, their corner situation is very good. I mean, I promise you, people can't even name who their starting corners are. You know, so, yeah, C.J. Mosley's a good player, and Quentin Williams could be a really good player. But, like, where are they good on defense? And for him to struggle to move the ball against them, that's got to be a little concerning. And the fact that they only have James Morgan and Mike White as the backups. Now, they bring Josh Johnson in. I'm not sure why. Maybe Matt Mike LaFleur, you know, knew him from his time. But to me, you know, Zach Wilson's going to have to just play his way through this and see what he looks like in the preseason. He's the only guy, A.D., he's the only guy I've seen that that anybody, uh, you know, Joe Burrow is not having a great camp. Actually, Jamar Chase is, I just read today that they're very upset that, you know, the people that watch Jamar Chase practice don't see great burst or acceleration in him. Well, you know, I mean, that's what, you, you know, that's what you're supposed to have. So it's going to be interesting to see all these guys come through 
when we watch him on the preseason tape. I'm anxious to watch Zach Wilson. But unless they make a move for a starter, I mean, he's going to have to go through some growing pains. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and I think you know that with a young rookie quarterback. Hey, we get that. Peyton Manning, whatever. There's been lots of stories of guys who had to take their lumps. But it is a little bit of an eyebrow raise. They did not bring in a veteran to help him through these struggles. Legends of the game, finally honored over the weekend. We'll share stories of the Hall of Fame class from 2020 and 2021. Plus, remembering the legendary Bobby Bowden. Well, after getting delayed because of COVID last year, NFL Hall of Fame class of 2020 as well as 2021 were enshrined over the weekend. You just say these names and you say to yourself, wow, look at this talent. 2020, Steve Atwater, Isaac Bruce, Steve Hutchinson, Edgerin James, Troy Palomalu, and the class of 2021, Drew Pearson, Tom Flores, Peyton Manning, John Lynch, Calvin Johnson, Alan Fanica, and Charles Woodson. 15 members of the Centennial Class of 2020 were also honored, which included names like Bill Cower, Jimmy Johnson, NFL Films founder Steve Sable, and former Commissioner Paul Tagliabue. Mike, that, that roll call of names, it gives you chills if you're a football fan. No, no doubt. I mean, and, you know, I thought Peyton's speech was great, and it was great to see them all. But I thought that, you know, when you sit there and you're driving to the stadium, I mean, just how great Peyton was as a player. Uh, and what Belichick said, he's the best quarterback he's ever played against because it was truly a great chess match between Belichick and Manning. Because Manning's brilliance was that, you know, they never really motioned or did many things pre-snap because they wanted it to stay stagnant. They wanted the defense to declare. So Marvin Harrison always lined up where he lined up and Reggie Wayne lined up where he lined up and Dallas Green would either be on the right or the left side. Right. So, you know, it was always kind of played that way. And that allowed Manning to kind of decipher based on the, the the depths of the corners, based on the feet of the corners, based on the linebackers, where he could really spend all his time studying it. And then he would call the play that he wanted to run into it. And rarely, rarely would he be wrong. I mean, a lot of teams try to install this thing they called statues, which is basically you line up and you don't move. You know, you spend all your time during the week. You just don't move your defense. And when that play clock gets to five seconds, then all of a sudden you start running around to where you got to go play the defense. Because if you showed him anything too early, he was going to beat you on it. And that's what made him so great. His ability to be incredibly accurate, his ability to anticipate all the throws, but more than anything, his ability to play fast while calling the game at the line of scrimmage. It's really almost tragic. He only won two Super Bowls and only one for the Colts. It really is. Because this is one of the greatest players you'll ever see. I mean, it's it's unbelievable how great of a quarterback he was. And to only win that one, to me, is almost, a, you got to feel like it's a little short. Yeah, and the level of intelligence, which you just explained, that's what I always kind of just saw as a fan watching it go, man, this guy's brilliant. Like, th- this is totally being juiced through his mind, all the audibles, his knowledge of the roster, his knowledge of just football terminology, and I guess anticipation. Like, that's what all the great athletes have. You look at Wayne Gretzky. He wasn't the strongest. He wasn't the fastest, but he had great anticipation. I always felt that watching Peyton Manning. He knows exactly where every single guy on his roster is going to be, and perhaps more importantly, he can decipher in the blink of an eye what the other team is trying to do. So I agree with you. It it feels a little incomplete. You'd think with his numbers, the amount of times he won MVP, you'd think, 
think, oh, this guy's a four-time Super Bowl champion. But that wasn't the case. And uh, for a lot of reasons, it's because of the competition that was against him, right? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and, you know, they just they could never get it set defensively. He didn't get all the help he needed at times. And, you know, Robert Mathis was a good player. Freeney was a great player. But, you know, they ran into that buzzsaw called the Patriots and the Patriots played complimentary football and, and, you know, were able to beat them. So, you know, it's it's almost tragic, really. I mean, this guy should have won five or six of them. He's that good. Amazing to think about. And we will hear Peyton Manning on the booth with Monday Night Football for some games in ESPN2, a mega cast, the Manning brothers. So look forward to that. Also, on a somber note, it's time to remember Bobby Bowden, legendary college football coach, passed away at 91. The laurels he has are nothing short of incredible. Head coach for 40 seasons, mostly known for leading Florida State from 1976 to 2009. He won 377 games with the Seminoles, won two national championships in 93 and 99, 12 ACC titles. First head coach to take his team to 27 consecutive bowl games and to the surprise of no one was inducted in the College Football Hall of Fame in 2006. Mike, you have a real appreciation when it comes to great coaches. When I say Bobby Bowden, what do you think of? You know, what, what, I, what I think of Bobby, I think of uh, a young kid at Hofstra University. Uh, and I went to this coaching clinic in, in the area and I heard him speak. And he was talking about the Florida State offense and everything was done by cars. You know, Cadillac was a certain concept, Chevy, you know, because he felt the players always knew the cars back then. And I was mesmerized by him. So when I went back to Hofstra and went into my dorm room and sat in front of my little typewriter, I started typing him letters. I mean, A.D., if I didn't write him over 500 letters, it would have been, you know, probably the over would have been easy play. I mean, I started going to clinics for my freshman year. So I would say for three years, I probably wrote him over 500 letters. He answered every one of them back. I mean, I used to get a thrill going to my mailbox at Hofstra, whether I was in Tower D or the or Tower A, uh, you know, and I would open up my mailbox and I'd see that Florida State envelope in there and I would just get, you know, excited. And then I flew to Kansas City to hear him speak one time because I was I wanted to become a graduate assistant for Florida State. That's, that was my, that was the goal. That was the path I wanted to take. Once I left Hofstra, I wanted to go to Florida State. I wanted to learn football from Bobby Bowden. And the rules back then were that you couldn't go unless you were a graduate student of that school. And he would have other coaches write me too, but he would always write me back. And on the bottom of every letter, he would write a handwritten note. Thank you, Michael, you know, yada, yada, yada. So he really left such an impression on me because like he didn't, I mean, I'm some slapdick in college. He had no business writing me back. Right. And yet he wrote a thousand letters back to me and I annoyed probably the hell out of him. I was persistent because that's the only way you're going to get into it is you have to be persistent. So, you know, later in life, when I told him that story, when I was at Florida State one day, he said, oh yeah, I remember you. You were amazing, you know, and because you wrote so many letters and we laughed about it. And, you know, and I, and I just thought he left such an impression. I mean, he was such a generous, authentic guy. You know, he left West Virginia, went to Florida State where the program was the shits, and he rebuilt that program. And look, Florida State doesn't have a, a ton of money. I mean, he built that program. He went down there because he wanted to get out of the cold. He's from the South. And, you know, he took that program and he made it a national program. And it's just, to me, he's a tremendous person. And I sent uh, his son, uh, Terry, who's the head coach in Monroe. I wrote him a note, told him the story and sent him a copy of my book and thanked his dad and, and made sure I wanted to thank his dad. Cause without his dad's inspiration, probably I would have never been able to do what I did. 
That's amazing. 500 letters. The fact that he took that kind of time to write back to you, that, and that's nothing short of staggering. Uh, I worked with Danny Canality, who's been, of course, Florida State guy. I had nothing but great things to say about Bobby Bowden. Very folksy, you know, very charming, but a great coach and a very smart guy and a brilliant mind who changed the college game in many ways as well. So uh, that's a really cool story you have about that personal connection you have to him and keeping that going uh, with his son as well. As always, send us your mailbag questions, the GM Shuffle at gmail.com, or feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the GM Shuffle. This is from Josh in Louisville. Hey guys, love the show and the insight every week. Excited to follow along every week this season. I read stories about guys showing up to camp out of shape and the team giving them a certain amount of time to make weight or they can be cut or fined. How exactly does that work? Is it an actual weight limit or is it performance-based and on the discretion of the coaching staff? Well, I mean, typically, you know, what happens, a lot of teams, you know, give the conditioning test. And if you fail the conditioning test, the conditioning test is part of your physical. So basically, you failed your physical. So, you know, there's no sense in putting you on the field if you're out of shape. I mean, you know, we don't want to lose anybody. We don't want anybody getting dehydrated. We don't want so, you know, this isn't back in the days where it didn't matter. We were going to spend six days. His training camp was two practices a day. Everybody, no water. You know, we're just going to grind and get the players in shape. No, this is about we're not putting you on the field unless you can handle it. So most of the time you put the players on PUP, put them over with the strength coach, the conditioning coach, and have them start working out. And then ultimately the weight will come off. I mean, it eventually will come off. And, uh, you know, when I was at the 49ers, I was in charge of Bubba Paris's trying to get his weight off. You know, I sit with him for three meals a day and coach Walsh made me sit there and watch write down everything he ate and he kept gaining weight. And finally, you know, there was an article in the Rockland paper and the article was coach Walsh was complaining about how Bubba's working so hard, but he's not losing any weight. And, you know, I was getting like, are you sure you're writing down everything? I said, yeah, coach, I write down everything. And it comes, this little guy comes walking and this little Italian guy comes walking in and says, I think I know why Bubba's not losing any weight. He said, he's in my pizza parlor every night at about 10 o'clock having two pies. So, you know, I mean, you got to be really careful with the players. But I think if you want, if the guy shows up out of shape, to me, that's like a total lack of respect for the program. Like, get yourself in shape. You're a professional. Be an adult. Do the things you got to do to get in shape. It really sends a bad message. If that if it's not that important for you to get in shape, you know what you have to do. If you can't take it seriously enough, then you got real problems. Yeah, it's hard enough, you know, guys like you and me trying to lose weight. But think about it. If you're a professional athlete, like that's your job. And like you said, I, I know it's hard, but especially in this day and age, Mike, I think it'd be easier than ever. Only in that you've got a great support system. You've got dietitians, you've got uh, doctors, you've got a training staff. Like we'll we'll write the plan for you just to follow the plan, right? It's just it's about discipline and dedication and, and trying to do it. I know it's not easy for some, but like you said, you have that responsibility as a professional athlete to take care of your body as best as you can. Yeah, I mean, I like if it's not that important to you, then what are you doing? Like seriously, if it, I mean, you can't, you know. And, and and some guys are just they need they need to be in structure to get in shape. That's what they need. They need to be around. That's why sometimes free time is bad time. That's true. That is a really good point about that. All right. That's the story when it comes to GM Shuffle. Let's do a little bit of a pop culture minute here. Latest Cinephile podcast you can listen to. I reviewed The Suicide Squad and the documentary Val. Val Kilmer, if you're wondering what's happened to him, battled with throat cancer. But he's made this documentary. You know, he can barely speak now. He's got the trach, but he, you know, presses the the, the air tube and it kind of comes out that mechanical voice. But really cool story. What you would appreciate, Mike, they go back through some of Val Kilmer's old movies, like just his life. 
you know, he went to Juilliard, um, was really an acclaimed actor on the stage, and then starred in The Doors. And it's uncanny. You watch this, you go, oh, my God, this guy looked just like Jim Morrison and a real method actor off the stage, really kind of took it seriously. He was in movies like Willow. He was amazing in Heat. Uh, it's sad what's happened to Val Kilmer, although he says at one point, I sound a lot worse than I feel. Like, I'm actually okay, but I just look different. I look a little bit bloated. But he goes, you know, autograph signings now, tell stories about Batman. But uh, Val, a uh, really cool documentary available now on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. I saw a little bit of that. I can't wait to see some of that. I, I'm looking forward to it. That'll be that'll be, uh, that'll, that'll be a good one. I, I've got some free time now, I think, because I got the grandkids have all left. So I got a little free time to see if I can watch something besides watching uh, Paw Patrol. I think I've I think I've OD'd on Paw Patrol. I think there's no doubt. I mean, I, I, I've i seen every Paw Patrol you can imagine. And the Paw Patrol movie is coming on August 20th, so I got to take my kids to see it. Who's your favorite now? Do you like Rubble, Chase, Zuma, Mayor Humdinger? Who's the guy that you you like a lot? I, I Mayor Humdinger cracks me up. I mean, Mayor Humdinger cracks me up. But I think I'm going to go with Chase. I think I'd go with Chase. But Mayor Humdinger's got to be one of the best. I mean, he looks like the Monopoly guy, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. looks like the Monopoly board guy. <laughs> Had to be based off the Monopoly guy, a little Easter egg. Um, I am off to Iowa. Field of Dreams game taking place in Dyersville, Iowa. I'm flying from Newark to Chicago, Chicago to Cedar Rapids. Hour drive to Dubuque, where the hotel is. And then a 45-minute drive for Dyersville. Yankees and White Sox taking place on Thursday. The Field of Dreams game. I just saw on the news, Mike, they say tickets are going for $4,000. I mean, this is insane. A once-in-a-lifetime experience. Where are they putting Where, where are they putting the people? So I, I, I re-watched Field the dreams last night. I hadn't seen it in 20 years. I loved it as a kid. I love it as an adult. The actual field and field of dreams, they've built the major league baseball field adjacent to it and then built stands. It's going to be about 8,000 seating capacities. So as you know, Oh, okay. Yeah, most times in a ball game, it's a lot more than that, but only 8,000 fans, Yankees, White Sox, two great teams going at it. It's going to be a thrill. Yeah. I mean, and somebody owns that home, right? I mean, that's somebody had bought that property, correct? Yeah. I, we're going to have Kevin Costner on set Thursday. I, I just heard him tell the story to Bob Costas, but he said that he told the owners when they were done, he goes, hey, you know what? I, I wouldn't be in a rush to get rid of this thing. Like, the, I think this thing might have some legs, which as you know, in movies, uh, Billy Bob Thornton one time told me, you never know when it's good. You know when it's bad. But in this case, at least Kevin Costner had an idea. Hey, we've got something special here. But yeah, I mean, I hope to take a tour of the home and, and check out the farm and hopefully walk through some uh, corn. Yeah, I mean, that that's awesome. And you can also question Kevin Costner on JFK as it's getting new released out. Oh, yeah. You can, you know, go back through and see what- Yeah, that's a good call. You know, and get a little, you can get a little, you can do a little dirt. I've been obsessed with this uh, Mary Farrell website, which is basically, it's called the Mary Farrell Foundation and it's got all the data you could possibly need on the JFK assassination. It's just, it's got unbelievable data, records. You can see everything through it. So I've been just pouring through it. I mean, this website's unbelievable. I mean, it's- I, I agree. That is unbelievable. I, I I actually want to bring you with me now just so we can pepper Kevin Costner. He'll think, oh, here's a former NFL GM. Oh, you want to talk about drafting? Like, no, Mike just wants to talk to you about JFK. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'll tell you a great story. So one time I'm in a Super Bowl in Atlanta and he's there and we were staying at, I think at the NBC hotel was there. And so I'm there and, you know, and he's at the hotel and Millie and me, and I think Debbie Belichick was there at the time. I think the three of us, we all get into the elevator and there's four of us in the elevator, including. And so, you know, I like Kevin, like is really, very, really very nice. And he's like, where are you guys going? And I'm saying, she's probably going to where you are because my wife, Millie loves him. Right. So anyway, so once we got past that, I'm like, 
tell me about, you know, and he said, I think there was some truth to it. Like he wouldn't go into it, but he said, I think there was some truth to it. So anyway, but this website, if you're a fan of trying to get as much information, I would say there, you could spend a whole day just going through this. I love it. That's great stuff. Uh, continue the deep dive on JFK, feel the dreams. And of course, lots more football conversation next time here on the GM Shuffle.